no one even knows what eating disorders are and people aren't aware that you probably shouldn't mention what people are eating and what like food is on their plates. And I'm like, oh, this is something we need to learn. Like we need to teach people, you know, and like it sucks that we were educated in this and like it's a terrible thing to have to go through. But at the same time, like how brilliant now that we're able to have a conversation about it in two different states right now and that we're able to talk about it and hope that we can continue this discussion with other people, give other people the verbiage to be able to integrate this and these conversations into their friendships too. I don't know. I think it's beautiful. Hi, I'm Emily Kay, and you are listening to my new podcast, Get Together. I'm a therapist in training, focusing my work on how our relationships to our bodies impact our relationships to the world. On this podcast, I'll be getting together with some of my favorite people talking about some of my favorite subjects, diet culture and eating disorders and body image and identity and systems and feminism and queerness and so much more. Thank you for being with us. Um, okay, so are you ready to go? We're good to go, yeah. I am so excited to talk to you. Can you please introduce yourself for me? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Lydia Rhino. I am 25. I'm currently completing my undergraduate degree at CU Denver um, in human development and family relations. And I am three and a half years into my recovery, the longest that I've been in recovery since getting diagnosed with anorexia nervosa restricting type. Um, So I've been in recovery for three and a half years now. I've been so excited to talk to you because a friend of a mutual friend of ours actually introduced us. And I was like, oh my gosh, someone who has had an eating disorder and is working through it and processing it. And I was like, oh, okay. I think this person might get it. This is cool. And as, yeah, as someone who like spent almost a decade of my life struggling with eating disorders, just, there is just something about knowing someone else who is also in recovery and um, like dedicated to that is just really special to me. Let's go back. So there's just so many different phases that we go through when we're starting to understand what's going on with our body, especially if you're wondering if you have an eating disorder or something might be going on. And I'm just wondering, what was it for you when you started to realize that something might be going on? And of course, you know this, but like with as minimal details as possible as, you know, as to like what exactly you were doing, but more like what was your thought process? Yeah, totally. So this is something I actually try to think about a lot because I like didn't even really realize there was anything going on. Like nothing was really wrong when it all started happening. Like it ended up being like the semester I had my highest GPA at school, like at my old school. Like I was still in like a really high position in the sorority that I was in, like on the executive board, like in all like external senses, like I was thriving, you know, like I was losing weight, like the things that our culture is like, yeah, yeah, go you. Um, so it was like really confusing when I started like not wanting to hang out with my friends anymore. And like these friends that I had built such strong relationships with. And like, I was like suddenly like, not suddenly like, you know, it's like a process. Like I just like, didn't really want to go out anymore and spend time with them or go get lunch with them. And like, was like, Oh, I have to like go and do all these things. Like I'm so busy. I don't have time. And then I just be like, so depleted. And then during that time, um, I also just like got so exhausted and just wanted to sleep. And that's just like when I kind of was just like, Ugh, this doesn't feel good. And we've had like a history of eating disorders in my family. So like during that summer, um, when I like during the time that I was sick, it was like a really short span compared to a lot of people that I was actually like, actively engaging in my eating disorder. I was talking to my mom one day after I ran 
And I was just like, I don't know if I can live like this. Like this feels miserable. Like just constantly, like your brain is never where you are. Like I was just always thinking about food, making sure that I wasn't eating certain things. Like my brain was just fully consumed by that and by working out and like just in that cycle. And I was like so exhausted from it that it just felt like literally at the end of the day, it was like such a weight to like lay down and like to try and fall asleep, even though that was like not really possible. Cause I also didn't like sleep at all during that time because my anxiety was so high and just like running that it was like, I felt like I was just like constantly like, it's really weird, like analogy, but like a hamster wheel, like you're constantly just like spinning, like waiting to be like, when can I finally get off? And there isn't that time, you know? So it's, yeah. I think that's like when it really like kind of took a downhill turn. And when I was like, wow, this is like not working for me. I think what I love about the story that you just told, it really highlights for me that phrase that I so associate with recovery and with eating disorders in general that I wish people could understand, which is it's not just about eating and not eating. Because everything that you just said speaks to what for me, was my internal experience when I was going through that of especially like the disconnection in the relationships and this feeling that the people that you were once so close to and that you enjoyed so much. I know for me, it was like there was this huge barrier between myself and my best friends. And uh, particularly during like a year in college, I remember like coming home and just walking through the apartment and going to my room and shutting the door. And that became what I would do, even though I lived with my best friends. And it would be like, oh, hey, Emmy, how's it going? And I'd be like, oh, I'm good, I have to do homework. Like, I have a lot of stuff going on. So good to see you, hope you have a good day, bye. And then I would just like shut the door and sort of be stunned with myself for a moment, but then be like, well, gotta do this, gotta do this, like gotta get going. Ugh, I so relate to the hamster wheel analogy that's why I think is like so complicated about it right people are always like oh it's like the food like I, I see you eat so you must be fine like I see you like you know like it's all like that's like such an obsession about it and like having the name eating disorder kind of like intertwines that a lot really heavily but it is it's so much of that where it's just like your brain is never fully there and like those relationships like how you used to do that I used to do that too I was living with my best friends at the time too and so much of it was like I'm so busy I don't have time and it was like literally too busy for like the one thing that pulls you out of the disorder right like connection and that's what so like tying back to that too where you were like I love that you didn't just say it's like about the food and not about the food like that's primarily like one piece I really like about like restoration right now I don't have any pictures of food and I try to really not talk about it because I'm like, food's not the most important part. What I eat in a day is not important. Like, it's like who I am outside of that and the like way that I'm going through life now that like food is not the highlight of my day. It was for so long and there's so much structure around it that I'm like, it's not. I'm able to regulate my emotions and like that's what it's about. And I'm able to come to face to face with hard situations now and like I can have those difficult conversations. Like, yes, I still eat food, but like, no, it's not the biggest part of my recovery. You said earlier too, you were talking about presence. And I agree that the frustration with sort of the name eating disorder, it's like, okay, yes, there is clearly a disorder with the way that I'm eating. Obviously, yes. And I, I would love like a more comprehensive, like, well-being psychological spiritual definition of what it can be like to be inside an eating disorder I'm working on an art piece right now and um for part of what I was doing I was like tearing out pages of the DSM 
uh, which is very complicated relationship to the DSM in general, especially someone who's going to be a counselor. But with that said, I was looking through like the clinical definitions of anorexia and all of this. And I was just like, this, this isn't it. Like, yes, this is what happens to people. And this is what people go through, but it is not this like clinical dry particular standard of exactly how much people are eating or not eating and especially exactly not how much they weigh and don't weigh um it just it doesn't encompass that feeling of disconnection preoccupation isolation and just all those things that are so hard about being in an eating disorder yeah i think taking over is like actually like a really good way to describe it too because it's not something that like it doesn't usually come on as being like an initial, you know, like that's not like your intention is like, I'm going to develop an eating disorder today. Like, it's like, it never starts that way. Like it's always like all the emotions that are deeply rooted in it. Right. Yeah. Like the medical jargon is like great for like looking at like 1% of the disorder. And then it's like when there's so much more to it. And I think that's why so many people are like hesitant to ever reach out for help. And like, I know a lot of women have reached out to me specifically on restoration right now being like, I've never been diagnosed. And I was like, yeah, but like what you're describing to me is what it's like to be living with an eating disorder, you know? So it's like, there's so much more, it's so much more complex. And I love that you said like, I wish there was like a more spiritual, like inclusive side of it, but it is a really complicated thing looking at the terms where I was like, at first I like had a really love relationship with like the DSM. Cause I was like, Oh my God, it gives like words to what I'm dealing with. And, like, there's a name for it. And I'm not just like, crazy and doing this by myself like there's more people but at the same time now I'm like but that's not all it is like it is so much more about the other factors that come into it and that there are like a large amount of people in our society that are battling this like and I say battling because it is a battle like it's not just something that people deal with and that doesn't even go into the amount of time that medical students get educated on about eating disorders they get more like a one hour seminar on eating disorders. And I'm like, that's the, like a bigger issue is that like our medical system doesn't even recognize the importance of it when these are our doctors that we're training and they're not even being fully educated. And so no wonder so many eating disorders fall through the cracks of being diagnosed, misdiagnosed, just told that they need to do different things. Like, okay, it's not just like society. Yes, it's society's fault as a large part, but it's also like our education standards and the people that we hold accountable for creating standards in our society as not either not being educated enough or not having enough clarification on what to really look for. Mm-hmm. Yes, I completely agree. It can be really scary to ask for help. And I think that's something that I really struggled with was like, I did and like, I don't know, I almost like wanted to be pushed into getting help. Like, I know that sounds like that makes me feel uncomfortable even saying that because I'm like, that makes me sound like I like wanted the attention, which like maybe like partially I think I did, but like, I wanted my family to be like, you're going to treatment. We're taking you there. And instead it was like, I was like, uh, like my school recommended that I go to treatment and take like a leave of absence from my semester because I was like going to be a health risk on campus and everything, which I'm really grateful now. But like my family was like, not the ones that were like, Oh, you're sick. You're struggling. Like, let's get you help. It was like, you can go if you want. And I was like, I like wanted to be told I needed it and it like felt like that's kind of like goes back to what you said. Like you're like, Oh, well like, I guess I could grow out of this, but like, I think I need more. And like when people don't tell you that you need more, it's really hard to recognize that with yourself and to realize that you do and that you deserve more. 
Yes. Okay. I really want to hit on this because when you were talking earlier about how many people have reached out to you who have been like, well, I don't know if it's really an eating disorder. I don't know if I need help. I definitely have talked to so many people over the last decade and they have expressed similar sentiments. And I think what I'm trying to help people understand now, this just happened last week with someone trying to help people understand that not believing that you deserve help and not believing that it's bad enough is part of the disorder. That is part of what is going on is that you yes. believe that you need help and you don't believe that it was bad enough. And that's still something that now as a 27 year old, looking back on my 14 year old, 13 year old self that I still struggle with working through with my therapist. Like, was it bad enough? Is it bad enough? Did I really need help? And um, my therapist actually told me this week, it's stunning to me what you're saying. And I was like, I know it's stunning to you, but that's still the part that I have in my head that um, really is so powerful. Going back to like the disconnection and the isolation is part of that feeling of like, is this really bad you're feeling in your body that things are not good. You know that your life is falling apart. But if nobody is intervening, if nobody is telling you from the outside that something is going on, then you just feel like, well, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's right. um, and Totally. Is- and like so much of that too goes back to like the eating disorder like wants you to not trust yourself. And like you get into a place of like, not trusting yourself at all with any decision you make. And it's like, okay, like I can't, I'm not a reliable source. Like, obviously like my body doesn't know what to do with food. It doesn't know what to do with exercise. Like, I don't know how to like regulate my body. Like I can't, like, I don't need help. Like no one's gonna be able to help me, you know? And like your eating disorder, like kind of convinces you that you don't need that. And I've struggled with that too recently where I've been like, did I, like, was it that bad? Did I really need to go to treatment? Could I have fixed it on my own? And like, is it possible? Like, was it worth it? Like, was it worth it? Was it worth all the money that was spent on my treatment? Like, was I deserving of that? Was like needed? And there's so many of those questions that still come around, even like after I'm years out and how I like, I did try to like recover, which I'm sure you have too, like before seeking help. And it's just like, I like, I'm trying to like, not feel bad about going to treatment, you know, like still, even though I'm so grateful for it, but it still pops up that I'm like, ugh, could I have done it without the help? Uh, And this is making me think about addressing how friends and family and other people around can help with that. Understanding, I wish that people could understand that, at least for me, I guess I don't want to speak generally, um, and you can talk about your experience, but like, at least for me, what I so desperately needed was intervention. And there is still a text that a friend sent me my junior year of college that I will never forget because it was that first time during that round of my eating disorder that someone said, hey, I think something is going on. I think something's wrong. And actually, I think you're sick. And I remember exactly where I was reading that text because I needed someone to say that to me so badly. And I'm not, you know, there are so many ways that you can approach people. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You can approach them in so many different ways. But just this idea of like, if you think that something is going on with your friend or your daughter or your sister or your, you know, your cousin or whatever, obviously it's not just women. um, Just this idea of intervention and like reaching out 
And that's why I think it's like so hard because like as a taboo topic, it's kind of like parents talking about sex with their kids, right? Like it's like people don't want to talk about it and don't want to like bring up these topics to people and like don't know how to have that dialogue around it. And that's why I think it's so beautiful that you're doing this is like, we want people to be able to talk about this. So if someone is struggling, they have the words to use. And that if someone notices someone struggling, they have the words to use. Because like, I feel like there's still a part of me that holds on to that guilt of like, I, what I put my friends through, like in college, like I had the best group of friends that I could have ever imagined for. Like, I love them to pieces, but like, I didn't know how to communicate with them what was going on. And I don't think they like knew either. And like, that's not their fault. And I think that like so much of me is like, I still hold on where I'm like, I wish I could like, it's actually something I need to do. Thank you. Um, thank you for reminding me. I want to like reach out to everyone and be like this, like it's none of our faults that we didn't know how to talk about it. Like that was a societal thing, you know, that we like want to create that dialogue so that we can teach people how to have the interventions. Like the fact that you remember during such a traumatic time, that one of your friends sent you a text message. Do you remember where you were sitting? That like is prominent enough of a memory that you can hold all those senses around it. And you're like, that was game changer for me. I needed that. And I really am curious where the need for like us, because we have, I feel like we have similar connections about this, that like we needed someone to tell us that it was bad enough. And I wonder if that's a large part of like the eating disorder population is that like, there's a disbelief that it'll ever be bad enough and that you need someone else's validation for it to be worthy of treatment. Yes. Yes. Well, it's kind of like the mirroring thing. I've been working with this idea a lot of like young children need their parents to mirror back to them what is going on. So that's why there's like the classic story, like the little kid falls down and the parent is like, Hey, you're okay. Get on up. Then they'll get up. But if they fall down and they're like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? Then they'll cry it's kind of a similar thing going on with eating disorders. Like if someone is mirroring back to you that you're, that they're good, you're okay. As you're going through something that's internally so devastating, how can you recognize like, okay, something's going on, especially where we go up in a culture that glorifies dieting, glorifies over-exercising, glorifies restriction, glorifies punishing yourself, assigns morality to food, all of these things that mask what could really be going on for someone because people are like, hey, it's a good thing. You're losing weight. I remember um, after uh, I had sort of realized like, okay, holy shit, I've got a problem. I got to be in recovery, blah, blah, blah. And I remember someone coming up to me in like the cafeteria in college and being like, you have lost so much weight. Like, how did you do it? What's going on? And I literally just turned to them and was like, oh, actually I had a really bad eating disorder and I'm like recovering from it right now. And they just looked at me like, <laughs> what? But like, yeah, I just, that's so important to me now. And this was actually coming to me earlier while we were talking, like, cause you said that people reach out to you and they're like, I don't know if it's an eating disorder or not. And you're like, yes, that is an eating disorder. And I think that for me is what is so powerful about claiming that even when I feel shame about it, even when I feel like I don't deserve it even when I feel embarrassed about my body or my weight or whatever, just being like, yes, I had an eating disorder. I'm in recovery from an eating disorder. Let me tell you about what that was like. Let me tell you what that looks like so that you can know what it looks like or what it can be. And yeah, just the power in normalizing those kind of conversations is so important. 
Totally, totally, totally. I love you talking about being like that, like the clap back of being like, oh, you've lost so much weight. And it's like, yeah, I was starving myself. Like I was literally killing myself. Thank you for noticing. Like really glad that's regarded highly. And just like, yeah, like back to like the morality around food. Like why? Why can we stop talking about good fat foods versus bad food? Like it's all food. Okay. Okay. Case closed with that one. But no, like it is, it's so complicated. And I think that the more we just talk about it, the lesser it's going to become, right? Like I think Brene Brown says that like um, secrets, something with secrets and keeping illnesses, like, mm-hmm. like silence, like keeps you, silence keeps you sick. I don't know. Something like along those lines, Brene Brown is beautiful, but I don't have the correct verbiage right now. And then like our culture, diet culture has like persuaded them that they aren't enough as they are and that they can't live the way that they are because that's unhealthy. And it's like, okay, but like, are you happy? Like when you're like obsessed with being a certain body size and shape and weight, like that's just not a way to live. And for our friends and family to be like going back to the mirroring, which I think is like an amazing thing that I like didn't even think about as being something where it's like when you're sick, you need someone to be like, you are sick. Like, I just want, yeah, like, what can we do to give people that verbiage to be like, hi, I'm not okay. Like, I'm feeling wrong inside and that's showing externally and I need help. Like, how can we get people to feel like confident in doing so? That's why I'm feeling really into this idea of the relationship with your body, your relationship with food, your relationship with exercise, because to me, Phrasing it like that is this relationship feels expansive and possible to think about things differently. So like I was talking with my fiance yesterday about how in her past, she had never even thought that she should examine her relationship to food or exercise. And now we are able to have conversations like, hey, how did you feel today when you didn't work out? Did that bring anything up for you? Are you doing okay with that? And talking about the experience and the feeling behind these things, like behind the food and behind the exercise, what is that bringing up for you? I think my hope in having this conversation with you and with others is just like opening up the conversation on something that society tells us we should keep a tight lid on because bodies are shameful and embarrassing and food is shameful and bad and exercise is glorified and good. And those things are not an expansive definition of reality for human beings. I love the verbiage around like a relationship and it being expansive. I think that is so wonderful because um, I just think that like relationships are going to be ever changing, right? Ah, So like relationships with people, with our bodies, with exercise, with food, they're always going to be changing. I think allowing for that fluidity is so necessary. And that's when I think so many of people's relationships with food, with their body and with exercise become not beneficial to them is when there becomes restriction to it or when there becomes like no bound, you know, like there's like a lack of that fluidity when it becomes scarcity mindset or like overwhelm with it. And that's something that I really want us to like focus on as a culture. And like, we are part of the culture. Like, I feel like saying that sometimes is like too meta, like we are the culture, but like we are like creating, like having this like discussion with you is like us talking about it. And like you with your fiance and like me with my sister, my sister is like 
growing up in a family that was like, we're all very aware of like food bodies. Like it was just like our climate in our family, which was like bizarre, but like now she's just so hyper-focused on it. And she's like, we always talk about like how she feels like kind of like you with your fiance, like, how do you feel after running? Like, do you feel exhausted? Do you feel like really energetic? Like talking about the emotions that come up and like, if she's not able to run one day, like, what is that like? And like, that's been like a huge part of our growth as sisters. And like, we weren't close growing up at all. And like, now I feel like we're able to have that discussion that I don't even know how to not be on like that connectional level with her that we're like checking in about like how we're both feeling around movement about like her relationship with food and like, Oh, you're stressed about food today. Well, like what's going on? Like, are you stressed about finances? Are you stressed about your travel schedule, your work schedule? Like where are you feeling incomplete in other parts of your life? And like, we try to like dig deep into that. So I feel like those are the relationships I can have now, you know, (laughs) like when I feel like, like, relationships that I had in the past, like before my eating disorder, like not to say they weren't deep, but like, I just don't think I had the vocabulary to like use to describe these events now where now I'm like, Oh, okay. I can like actually like talk about the emotions that are coming up and like around different things that they're usually, if I'm feeling one way, there's a multitude of emotions that are circling behind it. So like when I'm angry, okay, like what else is happening? Am I jealous? Am I envious? Am I living in like a place of like daydreamy and like very like future tripping? Like where is that stepping from? And like really to like dig to the roots of it and find that. I love that you are having this relationship with your sister now and that this can be part of your conversation and part of your friendship. And I think I, what has given me so much power back in my life is being able to use what has happened to me to better my life now and better my relationships. And I just love, I love hearing that. And I think it's, you know, it's really unfortunate and devastating and terrifying to go through something like an eating disorder. And it also has given me language and a deeper appreciation of my body and myself and all of these other things. And, um, yeah, I just love the way that it's transforming your relationships and transforming your your work. Obviously, I would never wish that on my worst enemy in the world. But it is beautiful to see that there can be like growth in life and thriving afterwards. Because I don't know about you, but I definitely thought that I was never going to get better. I thought I would never recover And I remember in some dark days, like looking at a carrot and being like, oh my God, am I only going to like eat things like carrots for the rest of my life? This sucks. But also believing like, yeah, I guess I am because there's no way out of this fucking darkness. Totally. Right. Like it's like in some days I didn't want to recover like really deep in it. I was like, I don't even know what that would look like. That's so chaotic. Like, and there's still like also that part of me that was like, nothing's even wrong. Like this is totally manageable to do forever. Like, yes, I will eat carrots until I die. That's totally fine. That's, I can live on that. Like my body's capable of doing that. And it's like now in retrospect, I'm like, Oh, Lydia, absolutely not. Like, you know, like it's that retrospect, like looking like, I don't know if you can ever like visualize from above and like kind of see yourself like in those days and being like, Oh wow. Like you had so much to learn. Like your eating disorder took so much of your life and your capabilities and your energy and your connections that like to not come back and be like 
I cannot have an eating disorder because I have so much to give. And like to like use that really as like a prominent theme is just a beautiful way of honoring the self that you were and the self that you are now. One thing that stuck out for me from what you just said was when you were like, Lydia, and it just really illustrated for me, like there's the eating disorder voice. And then as you recover, you start to hear your voice again and you get to do things like say, Emmy, I am here for you. I got you and sort of like overpower that, which I love so much. So I was thinking that a really like uh, vulnerable but nice way to end might be just for both of us to just check in with where we're at with our bodies now and whatever that feels like for you. If it's like in this moment, this is where I am or like this week, this is what I'm working through. Um, I would just, yeah, I would love to hear you reflect a little bit on that to sort of model what it is like to just be in conversation about it. Oh, that made me so excited. Oh, I love this idea. Um, yeah, actually, um, my sister and I had a really good discussion yesterday that kind of like opened up the week really nicely. I'm just feeling like we took a little bit of time in the morning to be like, I'm feeling so strong and so capable in this body. And like that kind of set the tone for the week. Like, yes, I like sometimes my, my cousin texted me today and was like, I feel so empowered. And like, I don't always love what I see, but like, I'm able to do so many things in this body. And I think that's set the tone of appreciation. So like right now, like I'm just happy to be sitting on my bathroom floor, like with my legs, like my feet are falling asleep. And like my dog is curled up next to me, enjoying the tile floor bath that he is laying on. It's not a bath, but like it's cold. Um, yeah. And just like being here and having this conversation and my body feels so like, I feel so connected to it. And just like, I can, like, I feel like I'm like radiating, like also I'm warm, but like also radiating, like just like so happy to be here. And I feel like my body is just like tingly all over and just like warm knowing that like we're sitting here in like two different States, like having a conversation about something that's so deeply rooted to us. My body is just like, it's almost like a sigh, you know, like a warm sigh, like in the total body release. I can totally relate to that feeling. I definitely feel as soon as we got on Zoom, I instantly got this like rush of energy because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to talk to someone right now who, yeah, has this experience that's deeply rooted in both of us. And I do feel like it's so nice because I spend so much time in my head and, um, and that's been a really great place for me to be. Being in my head and being disengaged from my body has been super helpful to keep me in recovery. It's been like a great coping mechanism in so many ways. But now I'm at a place where I really want to feel what is actually happening inside of me and want to engage that in like a safe way. And doing things like this, like lets me have feelings of excitement inside and like actually feel them and like let them out. So yeah, I think for me, my theme right now is just allowing feelings to happen in my body in general and not immediately going to like process through thought and instead feel what is happening. And that's been such a scary thing for me. So I like, you know, I do it in 30 second intervals, but um, yeah, that's where I'm at now. And I appreciate you like inviting me to recognize that there is this nice like sigh going on for me. So yeah. Totally. I mean, that's, I mean, that's so beautiful. I love like, cause there is so much that you want to go into like the process mode and be like, why am I feeling that way? What's going on? What is this bringing up? And it's like, just to feel it and to be like, Oh, that's why. 
and like be able to just like sit with that. And that, I don't know if you meditate at all, but that's like something that I've learned through like meditating is being like, Oh, there it is. Okay. And there it goes. And like, just like having that come and go kind of like mantra of like, just knowing that things lend and there's always a new beginning. And I think that's like the best way to go through life right now, especially where we're at with our relationships and the time of this recording. <laughs> that deep thought at the end. Okay. Yeah, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. And I have a feeling that if you're willing, this is just like installment one of the Lydia series. Um, so I really appreciate your time so much today. Oh, Emmy, it was such a pleasure. I feel like we've known each other for like years, even though we met like an hour ago, but I feel like our souls are definitely intertwined and we know, but yes, of course, anytime you want to chat, I'm available. I love to talk if you can't tell, but I'm so grateful that you're doing this work and I'm just like incredibly impressed and motivated to continue doing it. And I just want to thank you for being a leader in this. So grateful that you're giving people the dialogue. Thank you so much, Emmy. Thank you. Oh. Dude, I feel the same for you. I remember looking through your Instagram, like laying on the couch and literally yelling to Kelsey, like, oh my gosh, this girl is cool. She's really cool. Look at this. <laughs> so anyway, I am so appreciative. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much, Emmy. I can't wait to talk again. This podcast would not be possible without the help of some really awesome people in my life. Thank you to Kelsey LaBelle for letting me use your song, Just Trees, which was recorded and produced at Sonic Boom Records in Seattle. You can find more of Kelsey's music wherever you listen. And thank you to the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology for letting me use their podcast studio and for hosting me at their artist's retreat, which is where this podcast was born. Thank you to Elise Hansen for your wonderful artwork and to my amazing therapist, Katie, who has helped me so much. Thanks, y'all. Dude, yay! That was awesome. <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel so good. I'm going to let my other dog in. He's been scratching at the door, so oh, we're going to have a double dog. Oh, all right. Hi, Bear. All right. You can say, hey, you want to say hi? Oh, my God. They just got haircuts, so they, they're normally super fluffy. They're both Pomeranians, but they look like little chihuahuas right now, so. Oh, my gosh. Little baby. Little baby boy. Oh, precious. <laughs>